0: This is America's dot the best in chat radio designed just for you.
1: Welcome to the prologue on America's Web Radio. We're a weekly program that brings you introductions to writers and books you may not be familiar with. Well, my name is Doug Dahlgren, and I'm going to be your host for this next hour. I'm an author myself, and you can find my work on Amazon.com, BooksAmillion, BarnesandNoble.com, all the online sites. Or you can visit my website at DougDahlgren.com. Now, we call this program The Prologue because that's exactly what it is. And while our introductions are mainly for writers, we love to bring you interesting people with a story to tell from other fields and endeavors as well. So if you or somebody that you know has a book or just that interesting story that needs to be shared, please reach out to me through email. You can contact me one of two ways. Doug at AmericasWebRadio.com or Doug at DougDahlgren.com Now, I'd love to speak with you or your friend about being a guest on a future program. Now, our guest for this hour brings us a story of true crime. The genre is often uh, sensationalized or even glorified, but not in this case and not by this author. The Empty Nursery is a well-researched journal of events, personalities, and police work that terrified and mesmerized an entire city in 1992. For nearly a month through the hot summer days and nights, the search for a kidnapped baby captured the hearts and minds of residents in and around Gwinnett County, Georgia. Our guest today is an award-winning author, a former police detective, a homicide investigator, a juvenile court investigator, and Jacqueline Weldon-White is here and will be with us in just a minute to share with us about her book and the research and the backstory to this tragic tale. Now, before I bring her on, I need to recognize two special groups of listeners that we're quite proud to have here on America's Web Radio and especially on the Prologue. Our brave folks serving in the armed forces of this country those men and women working hard around the world to keep us safe back here at home so we can live the lives that we do and so often that we take for granted. Freedom isn't free, and it's bought and paid for daily by those same men and women in uniform, so we certainly want to thank each and every one of you for what you do. I also want to mention another group. That's those first responders who are here at home, our police, fire, EMTs, the folks that work the 911 board, all of them who rush to our aid when we need their help. I want to thank each of you for being there, and thank you for what you do, and thank you for listening to America's Web Radio. There's much to talk about with our guests this hour, but primarily we want to learn about this amazing book. The entire title is The Empty Nursery, The Disappearance of Haley Hardwick, and this is your prologue. Beginning with a call to a busy pizza restaurant on July 3rd of 1992, the search for a missing baby drew hundreds of volunteers and many more well-wishers. Police pursued leads of a possible kidnapping while quietly keeping their focus on the father. Jackie White takes us through the investigation and her interviews with the child's mother. Crime stories involving children seldom have a happy ending, and, and this case was no exception to that. The Empty Nursery is a true crime story, and its author, Jacqueline Weldon-White, is with us this hour. Hello, Jackie. How are you?
0: I'm doing great, Doug. How are you?
1: Excellent, excellent. I mentioned that you are an accomplished author, and that's that's saying it mildly. You have eight <laughs> books out, and there's another one coming soon we'll talk about a little later uh, uh-huh. I mentioned your rec- I mentioned those recognitions that you've had through the years. If you'll allow me, I want to list just a few. Okay, I want to give the audience an idea of who we're dealing with here. 1999, Georgia Author of the Year nominee in creative nonfiction. In 2001, Georgia Author of the Year winner, creative nonfiction for the book that we're here to talk about, Mercer University Press top 10 bestsellers in both 2001 and 2003. In 2004, you were the Georgia Author of the Year nominee for Biography for the bestest Life of Peyton Took Anderson Jr. In 2007, you were uh, rated as the best local author by the Macon Telegraph. 2011, Publishers Weekly top sports book for the greatest um, hero who or the greatest champion whoever was, beg your pardon, and then again now again in two thousand twelve, you received the Georgia author of the year for that same biography the greatest cha- greatest champion that ever was jackie that's quite a resume. What do you have to say for yourself?
0: oh goodness uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh nothing. <laughs> I I enjoy writing. I like telling a a good story, and sometimes it works out.
1: It's worked out quite often, and and mostly for our benefit, I believe. Uh, This story must have been one of the hardest that you had to tell. and In fact, you told me uh, in in preliminary interviews here before the show that you really didn't want to write this book. Why was that?
0: I didn't want to write it. my first book, Whisper to the Black Candle, had had come out in uh, 99. And it was a true crime, but it was removed enough that I, I wasn't emotionally involved. It was a 40-year-old story when I started researching it. Uh, I lived through the, the Haley Hardwick case. My husband was still with the police department at that time. I was with juvenile court. Uh, I knew everybody involved. Uh, I had worked with all the investigators, all of the uh, evidence techs, uh, the district attorney, and it was a, a, a sad story. I really didn't want to write it, but people kept saying, when are you going to write the Haley Hardwick case? Why don't you write the Haley Hardwick So I, I finally decided to do it. I will say it's the only time I've ever sat at a computer and typed a story with tears running down my face. Some parts of this are just so sad.
1: We mentioned you were you were close to this. We mentioned earlier about your law experience, and you you alluded to the fact that you were in juvenile uh, in the juvenile court system, working right. as an investigator. Explain that a little bit more. Exactly what you were doing at the time that this case was unfolding.
0: I think by the time this case. Was unfolding. Uh, I was the I had had been promoted to court administrator uh, in juvenile court, which meant that uh, I, I oversaw the uh, clerk's office, the probation department, and the investigation department. Uh, prior to that, I had worked as an investigator, going out and investigating cases that were referred to the court. Uh, preparing for trial, uh, also investigating uh, deprivation cases where uh, it was alleged that children were being mistreated.
1: I'm sure that every day for that better part of three weeks, really, back in 1992, uh, the the water cooler topic was the same. Uh, But you were a lot closer to it with the people that you were around and the people that you could reach out to. what, was it as nerve wracking for you guys as it was for the public?
0: I, I think it was, and I think particularly the uh, the police officers involved, especially uh, the the lead investigators Jack Burnett and Steve Klein, uh, had to have been under such pressure because, first of all, there was a a, a child missing, a seven month old child was missing, but secondly. There was so much publicity. It was the lead story on the news every night for three weeks. Uh, The entire Metro Atlanta community was looking for this child. It it was the topic of conversation, as you said, and these investigators were doing everything they could. Uh, I doubt they got much sleep at all in that three-week period as well as the other police officers on on the force, everyone was looking for this child. Uh, Behind the scenes, there was a lot of suspicion about the father. And he, I think what turned the case, actually, is that the police uh, decided to put that information out. They told the press, we have some doubts about Kenny Hardwick's story. And Kenny couldn't leave it alone. He would call his own press conferences, and he would say, no, that's not exactly what I said. What I meant was this. And then the police would counter. It was a very strange tennis match in the press.
1: He was what you might call a credible liar until he really started getting tripped up in his own story. Isn't that right? I
0: I think so. I think so.
1: Now, you began the research for this sometime after the events, in quite a great deal of time, I guess, and the book didn't come out until 2001. Um, right how did, how did the book actually come to be?
0: Uh, I, I finally decided, because there seemed to be so much interest to write the book and uh, present it to my, my publishers, and they, they liked the idea. Uh, one of the first people I talked to was Danny Porter, who is now uh, and was at that time the district attorney in Gwinnett County. I had worked with Danny for years uh, when he was a, a new prosecutor and I was a new police officer. I think he prosecuted my first felony arrest. Um, he gave me contact information for Haley's mother, uh, Kathy Hardwick and I contacted her and I contacted her by letter I didn't want it to be a, a, a sudden phone call and she wrote me back and said I don't want this published I don't want this I don't want this dredged up again it was so horrible for us at the time and I told her that I had already uh, agreed, already signed a contract to write the book and that I was going to write it and she said, then I want you to get it right. Tell us and again. And we when met. Sure. When, when exactly that, that was it? That would have been around uh, 1999, end of 1999, the first of 2000.
1: Okay. When you started with and you. Okay. Uh,
0: she Okay. Uh, she asked if uh, we could do it in writing. She said, I don't think I can can talk face-to-face about this. I I had met her, but as far as the the questions went, so I would send her a letter with an open-ended question. What do you remember about the day Haley disappeared? And she would write back, sometimes three and four or five pages long. And that's how the interviews went with Kathy.
1: How old a person was she at this point when, when, when Haley disappeared?
0: Oh, goodness, I, I would say in her, maybe her mid-20s, early that to
1: mid-20s. I want to explore that a little bit more down the road here this morning, but uh, that, that mindset of somebody in their 20s trying to scratch their way through and, and make a living for themselves, that had to have played a part in this whole thing. Um, and I hate, I hate to bust it off here right now, but we are talking to Jacqueline Weldon-White. We're talking about her great book, The Empty Nursery, The Disappearance of Haley Hardwick. And we're going to take a short break and be back with more from Jackie after these messages.
0: Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio.
3: You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.
1: And we're back on the prologue here on America's Web Radio. We've got the great pleasure this morning to be talking to Jacqueline Weldon-White. She's the author of eight books, all sorts of genres, and we're going to talk to her about that in a minute. But right now we're talking about a true crime book, The Empty Nursery, The Disappearance of Haley Hardwick. And anybody that lived through that summer in 1992 here in North Georgia Certainly remembers uh, what all was going on for that three-week period in a hot July. Uh, the experience uh, that you had as a law enforcement officer had to be very relevant and important to this story. Not only did you work in fields that offered you insights into criminals and how they think, you you were in burglary. Is that right? You you investigated I, Well, I,
0: I started out. I started out as a patrolman, like everybody does, and then after I became a detective, I worked burglary and then eventually crimes against persons, which includes uh, robbery and homicide.
1: And homicide. That's nasty business. Mm -hmm. Um, It is. Tell us a little,
0: how
1: how long did you work
0: in those fields? Goodness. Uh, I was a detective for about uh, five years before I uh, married my boss and uh, moved to uh, juvenile court. We we couldn't both continue working in the department.
1: Well, understand that. But the, the five years of experience must seem like four or five lifetimes when you're involved in those types of crimes and finding out what people uh, can do to each other.
0: The, uh, the crimes against persons is definitely like that. Now, burglary, I... Uh, I found I had a uh, a real affinity for burglary because it was it's a, the kind of crime where you can track patterns. It's rare that a person burglarizes one house. You know, usually you've got a number of crimes, and you can look at the entry and what was taken and how things were done in the house, and and determine that a single person or a single group of people have done you know these five crimes. I, I enjoyed that. I'd, working persons is is difficult in a lot of ways, not only what you have to deal with, but the fact that uh, usually if, if you catch a, a murder, you don't go home. Uh, you stay for the next 12 hours, go home for six, come back, and it goes like that for, for days. And it's exhausting.
1: You... You worked in burglary. You worked in the homicide division for a while, and then mm-hmm. eventually you transferred. You say you married your boss. That's a good way to get a promotion.
0: Uh, <laughs> well, but actually, I got a demotion. I went to, a demotion, <laughs> to, uh... okay, as, as
1: it were. But you go into uh, the juvenile court system where you worked mm-hmm. initially as an investigator there. So right. you know, actually, your personal knowledge of. Uh, different individuals i mean along the way you had to meet no people so you had to know many of the principles involved in this investigation um, how, how did that access to the facts help you in gathering well, stuff uh, gathering your research for this book later? it
0: was it gave me remarkable access uh, i can remember meeting with one of the uh, investigators who had, by the time I talked to him, had was no longer an investigator. He'd been promoted. Um, and he had brought to the interview the entire case file. He'd gone to archives and checked out the entire case file, which nobody gets access to. Uh, everybody I talked to I knew I had worked with on, on cases, so... It was almost like just sitting down and having conversations with them, the same thing that you would do sitting around the break room at the uh, at the police department, just, you know, what about this and who did you talk to? And everyone was so open and so cooperative to the point that I eventually had to just stop myself. I still had 20 more people on the list to interview, and I realized I, I can't use any more information. So... It was. It gave me incredible access, like nothing I've ever had before. Since
1: so, we don't want to give the book away, but there's just tremendous inside information, folks. If you're interested in crimes, uh, and this one touched everybody, uh, and including these people that Jackie's telling us about, the folks who were involved. I mean, bringing that file out—that's very unusual. That shows the how deeply this story had had affected that in, that gentleman. I assume. Uh, so anyway,
0: everyone was everyone was so invested. It, uh, when you work homicide, you get used to what. Uh, that sounds terrible, but you are no longer shocked in most cases at what adults do to each other, if they shoot, you know, if one person shoots another or one person stabs another.
1: Certain.
0: But but when it's a child, it's it makes such a difference.
1: Oh yeah. And, and hopefully it always will. Uh, that, that's oh, I just... think so. Oh, goodness. Now, you mentioned already your access that you had to Kathy Hardwick. Um Is it fair to ask what your personal impressions of her were at the time?
0: Absolutely. Uh, I think Kathy, nobody is, is able to deal with something like this. Nobody is prepared for it. Uh, and Kathy... Uh, was so young, so she especially wasn't prepared for it, but uh, and she, I think she really got kind of a, a bad deal from the press, because after a while, they started concentrating on her, and it was implied, although never stated, that it was unusual that she involved herself in this, and she was going to the searches, and she was going to the police department, and uh, she was always ready for an interview. This young woman was absolutely terrified that if she didn't continue pushing that people would stop looking for her daughter which is why she never turned down an interview she she would show up at the police department at eleven o'clock at night with pizza for the the detectives. she was trying so hard to do everything she knew how to do to find her, her daughter, to find Haley.
1: I don't want to be offensive towards her at all, and I, and I mean this sincerely, but her age at that time, and, and you described her as being terrified, do you believe that the experiences that you had in working and in investigating juvenile cases helped you understand her mindset better than maybe a lot of other people?
0: Uh I I don't know. I think when when she talked to me, she was incredibly open, Uh, just so forthcoming. She just poured out everything that she remembered, uh, answered every question that I asked. And again, I think it was because... She wanted the story to be told as it happened. She wanted me to get it right, And after the book was written, but before it was published, I sent her uh, the final the final copy-edited manuscript, and she called me. The phone rang at eight o'clock in the morning. My husband answered it, handed it to me. he said, "It's Kathy." I was so scared. And I said I, hello, and she said, "Thank you for getting it right." Beautiful. Which, which made my my day. I mean, it was just, thank goodness, I could do that for her.
1: Oh, absolutely! It's been a long time. It's been nearly a quarter of a century. This this coming July mm-hmm. will be twenty twenty four years. Have you had any contact with her? What What do you think? Uh, Kathy Hardwick, uh, and, and I know her. You keep, you're keeping her new married name secret to protect that family, but what, yes. what is life like for them
0: uh, at this point? I haven't talked with her in, goodness, probably 15 years. But I do know that, uh, of course, when this happened, I, I, not everyone realized this, uh, particularly the press, But she was pregnant with the couple's second child. And it was during all of this, after her husband was arrested, that that she gave birth to that child. And so she had a reason for moving on. She had uh, a child to to raise and to protect. And then she, she remarried and, as far as I know, had two more children and was making uh, a good life for herself and her family. And I, I fully believe that she moved on from the tragedy. she You never forget something like that. It doesn't leave you. But uh, I, I certainly hope she is having a good life.
1: You've already mentioned the tremendous research you did uh, interviewing people who were involved and in, in including Kathy Hardwick. Uh, in this research, did you physically visit the places like uh, the bridge where the kidnapping was supposed to have happened, uh, the burial site in the mud flats off Boggs Road? Did did you go there and and just for your own sake get a feel of what those areas were like?
0: Uh, I I did. Now you have to understand, I had policed in Gwinnett County for quite a while, so I already knew these areas uh, because when you work as a patrolman, you depending on where you're assigned, you know, what beat you get, you, you go to all these places. So I knew where they were. And I did go back, uh, but did not spend a lot of time in either place.
1: Okay. Are there any other aspects to the research that you did for this book that you can share with us?
0: Uh, just that I got such wonderful cooperation, not just from the police officers and the uh, Uh, guys and and gals in the DA's office but uh, from the public from the people who had been called as witnesses from her family from Kathy's family uh, could not have asked for for better cooperation
1: we don't again we don't want to give anything away in the book but but you detail how the media and the public became so deeply involved in this thing Uh, that that uh, involvement by the the public really didn't help did it
0: uh, i i guess it, it did in some ways uh for example they the police ran roadblocks at the location where kenny said his daughter had been kidnapped and must have questioned upwards of eight ten thousand people and never found anyone who saw a car broken down so that that helped build the case
1: Absolutely. In your research and writing, which took longer, getting everything together or the writing of the
0: book? Wow. About the same. Each took about six to eight months.
1: Okay. All right. Fair enough. Um, we're talking this morning with Jacqueline, Jacqueline Weldon-White. I'm getting tripped up on your first name, Jackie. <laughs> it's actually Jacqueline, and folks looking her up, that's J-A-C-L. Yn weldon white we're talking about one of her fantastic books this one is the empty nursery and we're going to be back with more after these messages
4: the disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge not just for the person suffering its effects but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp what should be the course of treatment who is the best person to render treatment and the trained staff at EHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com.
0: This is Dr.
2: George. Join me Wednesday mornings at 9 o'clock for Medicine on Call. Learn strategies to protect you and your family in the age of Obamacare. On Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com.
3: This is Michael Connolly inviting you to listen each Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern to my show, Our Constitution, only on America's Web Radio. You're listening to America'sWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.
1: And we're back here this morning on the prologue here at America's Web Radio. Our guest today is Jacqueline Weldon-White. We're talking about one of her tremendous books. It's The Empty Nursery, The Disappearance of Haley Hardwick. And, Jackie, before I forget it again, tell the folks out there, the listening audience, where they can find this book to order their own copy and all of Jackie Weldon White's books.
0: Uh, My books are available on Amazon, um, Barnes & Noble, uh, all the online sites, uh, you can also order directly from my publisher, which is Mercer University Press. Some of the okay. newer ones may be in uh, in bookstores, but uh, Empty Nursery is old enough that you can only get it on online now.
1: Okay. And, again, this was book, uh, well, you were named author of the year. What year for this book? Uh,
0: 2001.
1: 2001, Georgia Author of the Year. Folks, you're going to want to look this thing up. I've got one more question about this, and then we want to move on to some other areas because we've got a lot to talk about with you. All right. Uh, I understand that Kenny had a parole hearing a year or so ago. Do you you think that will ever happen?
0: I I really don't know. Uh, I know that... uh, yeah, you know, a lot of things can happen when a person is incarcerated. I don't think Kenny was a monster. I think Kenny reacted <sighs> almost the way a, a, a little boy would have reacted. I, I believe what happened was the baby was teething. She was crying. Kathy was at work. He was angry. She wouldn't stop crying. And I, from what the medical examiner says, he slapped her and then backhanded her. And she was seven months old, and that was enough to kill her. And then he, instead of calling the police and, you know, trying to get medical help, he hid her. And I think the reason he did that is he didn't want to get in trouble, but he reacted like uh, a kid. And he'd had a, a, a troubled life, and... So it may be that uh, he has has changed in prison. I, I mean, you don't say, "Oh, everything's okay," but people do change. So I don't know. I think he, children, he could certainly be paroled.
1: Children having children, uh, my God, that's going on today. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it's it's a dangerous it's a dangerous mix. It truly is. Um, I want to back up a few years if, if you'll let me. Uh, where are you from? Uh,
0: I was born in Chattanooga but uh, moved to DeKalb County, Georgia when I was five years old and lived here all my life.
1: All right. Now, are you from a large family?
0: Uh, no. Uh, one brother and a uh, you know, few cousins.
1: Okay. Were there any other writers uh, back then or even now uh, from your immediate family?
0: My father uh, is who I would credit with giving me a love of writing. As it meant, he loved to read. Uh, he read constantly. As I understand it, when he and my mother were first married, uh, they would have company over, and he would pick up a book and read until she took him aside and explained in no uncertain terms that that's not what you did. But he was a voracious reader, and he would take me to the library once I was old enough, like second grade. Every two weeks he would get his books, and I would go to the children's section and get my books. And he eventually uh, did some writing after he retired and went back to school and uh, took some writing classes. He was pretty good.
1: Would you say he was your inspiration, or, or what was it that actually got you started in writing
0: yourself? I just I just always knew I'd be a writer. I don't know where that came from. I'm sure it, it came from my love of reading, because I was reading like my dad was. Uh, and I, I, I did think that once you became a writer, you lived in New York and you had a lot of money and you were in a penthouse. That didn't come come through but
1: uh, you're kidding I, that doesn't happen I,
0: no <laughs> I, I know that surprises you when my first book came out I just I sat back and uh, said okay now I wonder when it's going to be on the bestseller list uh, <laughs> it took you, you came a little a lot while for me
1: than did. Most. Yeah,
0: you did you came closer <laughs> no. than most
1: I'll tell you no um, no but well anyway uh, folks we want to we want to invite you to look into this book, we truly do, The Empty Nursery, The Disappearance of Haley Hardwick by Jacqueline Weldon White. You will thoroughly be engrossed by this book, and you will enjoy it. It is well put together and well written, so get out there and look for it. Jackie, I'm change steps just a little bit further now. You're a very modest person. I had to dig out all these awards that you won and all this kind of stuff because you just don't go around tooting your own homework. But I do know from being out at your shop that you are a multi-talented person. You are an artist who makes jewelry as well as being a writer. Could you share a little bit with the audience about the jewelry that you make, please?
0: I'd, I'd love to. Uh, it's a, a process I, I learned about. Goodness, uh six or seven years ago. It's called uh, precious metals clay, and, and they take a clay-like substance and infuse it with, uh, with pure silver or gold, but I, I, I can't afford to work with the gold. It's really expensive. But you can, it's, like, it's almost like a modeling clay, and you can press uh, patterns into it. I use a lot of real leaves and flowers. And then you cut it out, and you put it in a kiln, and all the clay burns away, and what you're left with is uh, pure silver, 0.999% silver. And it's absolutely the most fun I've ever had. It's so much more fun than writing. Because <laughs> you get immediate gratification instead of some, a project taking a year to, to come to fruition.
1: Tell us a little bit more. What, what do you use as a mold for this
0: stuff? Uh, I, used, I often use real plants because I'm very much into herbs, and so I'll, I'll press a leaf into the clay and cut it out, and then you'll have all of the, the veins and everything show up in the clay. Uh, but I, I also find other molds. I mean, you can find molds or stamps for just about anything out there if you look. So I do birds, I do shapes, I do just whatever occurs to me. And mostly this, earrings and, and necklaces. I don't don't really do bracelets.
1: Okay. Now your work is on display and is for sale uh, in a very unique shop. And I want you to to tell the listeners why it's so unique. It's located up in Braselton, Georgia, and and actually you recently joined in as a part owner of that shop. So I tell did, us about yeah. it. Uh, I'm saying it's unique because it is, and and tell the listeners why.
0: Well, Brazelton Gallery, which is located on Francis Street in historic downtown Brazelton, uh, is a uh, a gallery and gift shop. We have fifty four almost well, it's soon to be fifty six local artists and writers uh, represented there. We have paintings, we have pottery, we have woodworkers, uh, jewelers. It's it, everything that is displayed there is one of a kind. Uh, nobody does any cookie cutter stuff. Everything is is one time only. But Folks, I, 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 I love it.
1: You've been to gift shops and shops in Helen and other towns, Clayton, and all around North Georgia mountains. Until you've gone to the Braselton Gallery, you haven't seen the absolute best and you, you really need to take a little off trip over there right off of highway fifty three isn't that right
0: uh... it is a- it a- is
1: five. and you'll find it very simply now you mentioned the authors uh... you're kind enough to include me but you've got a book corner uh... with several terrific local authors there uh, can we share who they are right quick Do you mind
0: we certainly can uh... of course you're represented as am i uh, Sally Short, Uh, goodness, I hope I don't leave anybody out, Tori Bailey, Uh, Georgie Fields, Uh, Milan Probst, Jackie K. Cooper, Um, Dale Kramer. I know I've left somebody. Fran, thank you. Fran Stewart, who just had a wonderful book signing. Um, And Katie Hart-Smith. Katie Hart-Smith, thank you. Yeah.
1: So there's
3: and oh, we
0: got them all right. Yeah <laughs> we have had and will continue to have book signings there. Uh, our community supports those really well, and I know Fran had a great time. Hers was the last one. Her uh, her latest book, uh, A Wee Dose of Death, was uh, we featured in a book signing uh, about a month ago.
1: We had Fran on the program, and she was a delight. Uh, and folks, you would like her books. They're just tremendous. Listen, out there at Brazelton, how many different, can you even guess, how many different types of art and craftsmanship are on display there?
0: In our gallery? In the gallery. Wow. Uh, well, we've got, again, we have jewelry, we have pottery, we have uh, woodworking, two different woodworkers, three different woodworkers, excuse me. We have paintings, I have maybe five different painters. We have photography. Um, uh, we have jewelry. such unusual things. We have, yeah, I think I said jewelry, we have uh, a gentleman who makes bird statues out of PVC pipe. We uh-huh. have uh, a woman who does, they look like silhouettes, but it's actually scissor cut paper which she then paints, which she then mounts on canvas. I don't have any idea how that's done. Uh, we have a woman who makes uh, beads out of paper. Uh, just uh, everything that you can imagine in in the area of art. We have yard art. Uh, we have wind chimes. Just there's just so much. I, I don't. I, I know I'll leave important things you out. Did.
1: You did good. I've got a list in front of me, and you did good at going off the top of your head. The ornaments and footwear, knitted goods, there's furniture there. Uh, you've got natural soaps and lotions. I oh, mean, goodness, folks, yes, I forgot
0: the soaps, yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, if you're anywhere near that area, it, it's worth a 50-mile side trip, to be honest with you, to go well, over. Well, we're there
0: close to Chateau Alon, too, so Yes, if you're, yes. If you're coming to Chateau Alon, just come on up another five miles uh, to uh, brazelton
1: there you go tell the folks again exactly what the address is there in downtown brazelton
0: it's 32 francis street in downtown brazelton next to the
1: restored old flour mill there you go, the Brazelton Gallery. You will enjoy it. Folks, it's time for the last break of the, of the morning. We're here on the prologue with Jacqueline Weldon-White. She is an author and a jewelry artist, and we've been talking about her books. In this last little section here, we've been talking about the uh, Brazelton Gallery. So we're going to be back after these short messages.
2: On Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com.
0: This is Daryl Pullis inviting you to listen to America's Homegrown Veggie Show right here every Saturday morning at 10 Eastern Time. Great guests, great tips, and valuable information about growing your own vegetables, fruits, and herbs.
4: It's not just your garden. It's the way you live. And there's so much to know. But you have help. Bonnie Plants. Now with Bonnie's app, Homegrown You can learn about veggie and herb varieties, track and record your garden with photos and notes, share on Facebook and Twitter, and so much more. How'd you ever grow without it? Get homegrown with Bonnie Plants for iPhone and Android. The more you know, the better you can grow with Bonnie. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary,
3: Support USJF as they support you. You're listening to America's com the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.
1: We're here on the prologue this morning. I've got Jacqueline Weldon White with me. We've been talking about The Empty Nursery, The Disappearance of Haley Hardwick. And we also mentioned the brazilian Gallery, where you can find that book. I'm saying that. I hope it's there. And uh, it's there. there's not nine other authors, local authors, that you will thoroughly enjoy, as well as all sorts of quality pottery, jewelry, just all kinds of local crafts um, that you just will really enjoy looking at, and there will be some that you will want to take home and have them as your own. Uh, we've talked a great deal about the empty nursery, which is in the true crime genre as is one of your other books. In fact, your first book was called Whisper to the Black Candle. Could you tell us uh, just shortly uh, what that story was about, please?
0: Yes. This was uh, back in the late 50s. There was a a woman in Macon, Georgia. Her name was Anjette Lyles. Very popular. She ran a restaurant where uh, everyone went uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It was right across from the courthouse. She knew everyone in town. She was very charming, very charismatic. Uh, People thought she had a tragic life because her first husband had died and left her with two small children. Uh, She remarried, and her second husband died. Her first mother-in-law moved in with her, and she fell ill, and and Anjette would take her food from the restaurant to the hospital. And finally, her 9-year-old daughter died, and uh, then the whole town was shocked when she was charged with murdering all those people over a six-year period. And it's called "Whisper to the Black Candle" because she went to a lot of fortune tellers and root doctors and tried to cast spells with candles.
1: Oh my goodness! That sounds like a good one. okay. Well, now you she, written...
0: she used ar- She used arsenic, so the spells weren't doing it for.
1: Oh uh, well, yeah. There's always a backup plan, right? (laughs) Uh, You have written in several genres. You're you're quite broad in your spectrum here. You've written biographies, fiction, inspirational works. There's even a gardening book in here. Now, Mockingbird in the Moonlight and Distant Hearts are two of your fiction works. Give us a real quick sales pitch on those.
0: Goodness. uh, Mockingbird in the Moonlight is Set in Macon, Georgia, and it's basically murder among friends of the library. Mm. And it's 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 more fun than than terribly dark and serious. Distant Hearts is uh, two stories in one. A woman is doing historic research in an old house in uh, middle Georgia and finds a diary uh, that kind of mirrors her life, but the diary is from the Civil War era. And she and uh, two other people saw the murder in the diary, uh, Historic Murder.
1: Hmm. Of the different genres that you work in, and they are quite different, um, which would would be your favorite? Which one do you enjoy writing the most?
0: I prefer writing uh, nonfiction. For me, it's just simpler to go from something to something, if that makes sense. I think fiction is the hardest thing to write. Uh, I like it, and that's what I read. Uh, I rarely read nonfiction, but I, I like to write nonfiction.
1: Well, I enjoy non- or fiction myself because if I get in the corner, I can always get out. I can create a door or there dig a hole in the floor or whatever. <laughs> anyway. I'll have to get you to read mine
0: someday and
1: give me an idea. I have
0: read yours, thank you. Oh,
1: okay, we'll talk I, about I, that Well,
0: I, I, I have read The Sun, and I loved it, and I have not read oh. the others yet.
1: Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. You're certainly let's welcome. Get back, let's get back to you. What is new in the pipeline? What's coming next from Jacqueline Weldon-White?
0: Uh, Milam Probst and I, uh, she's another Mercer author, and we're good friends have written a travel book. We were going to visit all of the historic markers in Georgia, and then we realized there are over 3,000. So that would have been like a five-volume book. Uh, we narrowed it down by following Sherman's route to the sea, although, as Milan pointed out to me numerous times, she doesn't like the Civil War and she's not crazy about research. Okay. But we <laughs> didn't have to just do the Civil War. Uh, we... Uh, we just looked for kind of obscure markers along, that, uh, along Sherman's route to the sea from Atlanta, met fascinating people, took a lot of wrong turns because uh, as it develops, neither of us have a sense of direction. She was horrified because she thought, as a former police officer, I would have one. I said, no, that's why I carried maps. And our publisher, uh, the director of Mercer Press, Mark Jolly, is the one who came up with the title. It will be, it's going to be called Sidetracked. And All it will right. be released April 1st.
1: Oh, wonderful. We've got a short, just what, three weeks then to wait?
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We're tearing around trying to set things up. We have a launch party coming at uh, Brazzleton Gallery on the 9th of April.
1: Excellent. Well, I'm going to try my best to be there. Now, give us a title again, Sidetracked.
0: Sidetracked.
1: Alright, and this is through Mercer University
0: Press. Mercer University Press.
1: Alright, very good. You're, you're quite successful, then. You've got uh, two books that you've published through them. Do you enjoy working with a publisher?
0: Oh, I love working with a publisher, and I've published all but one book through Mercer. Uh, the one... Mockingbird in the Moonlight was uh, through a uh, publisher called Indigo Publishing and uh, they went bankrupt. But everything else has been published through Mercer. I love working with a publisher. Uh, I love the whole editorial process. It's just... It's like a team effort. It's fun.
1: Very good. You know, as busy as you are with the jewelry and everything else you've got going on, when do you find time to write?
0: Uh, Just whenever (laughs) I'm working on another book now with a friend she does pet portraits and these will be stories of rescued animals including one of the Michael Vick dogs that was rescued and became a therapy dog but she does these wonderful portraits and I'm writing the stories and so several nights a week I'm sitting here working on that Uh, just, just grab whatever time you can
1: Wow. Now, are you a disciplined writer? I think you've answered this question, but anyway, i
0: got to ask. Are Actually, you I'm pretty haphazard. <laughs> uh, my best friend is a deadline. I, I, I really work so much better on deadline. Otherwise, oh, do. I'll do things like, oh, well, let's see, maybe I'll do the laundry, or when's the last time I washed the sheet? Yeah, they probably, you know. <laughs>
1: Well, we have we have a lot of writers and folks who want to be writers that also listen to the program. Uh, do you have a set schedule? Do you have a certain time of day, certain number of words you try to produce before you get up? Uh, tell us about that.
0: No, <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't. Uh, I, I will. I will say, okay, uh, this weekend I have got to write such and such whether it's uh, right now like i said i'm working on this this book about animals so i have to write this week i have to write the story on kibbles the kitten that was found in the storm drain okay so sit down and do that now i may do it saturday morning i may uh find time monday evening it's just uh, no i'm not disciplined i'd probably be a lot more prolific if i were
1: well you're disciplined but loosely <laughs> you get it. You get it done, but not specifically at this minute. Very, very um, true. Editing process for folks who don't have that publisher experience. What is that like? Do you have any control over the uh, editing process, or how oh, do you yeah, feel? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay.
3: I
0: love it because what they do is they sit down and do the copy edit or the the whole edit, and the changes they make. They don't just change your book. They make changes, and they put them in, in bold in the manuscript, Then they print it out and send it back to you. You can argue for or against a change, but most of them are just, you, know, you need a better transition from this paragraph to here. Okay, so then you just write that in the margin, and you keep going, and do you think this would work better? Uh, you know, But it's, it's a, a, a team effort. There's a lot of give and take, and yes, you, you do have control.
1: Very good, very good. Um, you know what? We've just about eaten up this entire hour. I want you, before we forget it, I want you to please tell the folks again where they can find the books by Jacqueline Weldon-White.
0: Uh, definitely through Mercer University Press, which is mupress.org. Uh, also, any of the online uh, sites where you'd go to look for books, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, I'm sure after April 1st, you'll be able to find the new one in bookstores. Uh, and, again, it's called Sidetracked.
1: All right, real quick, anything that we forgot to bring up this morning, something you just need to tell the folks?
0: I don't think so. I think you've been very thorough, Doug.
1: Oh, well, thank you again. That's very nice. <laughs> Do you have any special shout-outs or hellos to anybody?
0: Uh, yeah, to mylum probes my very patient co-author she put up with a lot through this process
1: very good very good well i've met her as you know and she's delighted as well Uh, in fact she was on the program several months back listen jackie this this has been a very huge pleasure for me i'm i'm glad that we've gotten you on so we could learn about your books and your process uh thanks so much for being a guest this hour
0: thank you i've enjoyed it so much doug
1: Thank you, ma'am. Listeners, the ball is in your court, okay? I want you to look up Jacqueline Weldon-White on Amazon or her website or through the Mercer University Press sites and get started enjoying her great work this weekend, okay? And I also want you to tell your friends about our show, how they can listen to the free podcasts by simply clicking on the links at americaswebradio.com. And again, remember, if you or any of your friends would like to be a guest on the prologue, with Doug Dahlgren, uh, just email me at doug at com or doug at dougdahlgren.com. Tell me about yourself and how to reach you. And Thanks again to my special guest, Jacqueline Weldon-White. For myself, I am Doug Dahlgren, and for my guest, I say be good to yourselves and each other. I want you to read a book, if not one of Jackie's, Maybe one of mine. And I'll see you all again in just 167 hours. Take care now.
3: You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.